The following podcast is sponsored by SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi For Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And it is, we are recording this episode... Thursday, September 8th, 2016, the 50th anniversary of some little show that never went anywhere. That's a shame, really. I, I mean, know. So much promise. So much potential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, we are talking about Star Trek. Starring Jeffrey Hunter. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> um, wait. <laughs> no, no. That was Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Uh, also Jeffrey Hunter. Yes. 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 Uh, the original pilot. For you know, Trek, see, which... and that's you know that's the that's the weird thing because um, technically, this is not the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek. Right. It is the fiftieth anniversary of the first episode actually hitting the air, mm-hmm. the Man Trap, which is what wasn't even the pilot. Right. But it is not the fiftieth anniversary of Star Trek because if you back. Date. If you go back to when the cage was completed, that would have been 1964. So Star Trek really is 52 years old this year. But, but generally speaking, we we do count off broadcast. Yes. So yes. So happy anniversary, Star Trek. Um, as part of that, it's kind of funny. Uh, just coincidentally enough, uh, my 14 year old is taking a video production class, mm-hmm. and one of his assignments, uh, his his current assignment right now is to take a book or movie and tell the story of that book or movie in one minute. Okay. So, he chose for his book or movie Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Sure. Because I think he just wants an excuse to watch Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But I said, all right, but if you're going to do this, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take notes because you have to figure out what you can fit into that minute. Right. And uh, of course, he got the idea in his head that we could do all the special effects shots. He says, "I want to do the shots with the ships." I was like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> "Because I have the ships." Right. And uh, up until about a week ago, they were in. A rather poor state of repair. Mm-hmm. So I have I have actually taken this as an excuse to go back in. And those of you who, are, who who can see the video, you can actually see I actually I have started repairing. And I, we posted some photographs on mm-hmm. on Instagram, right? But I have started repairing all of my ships. Um, and Somewhere in my parents' basement is two different enterprises and two different. Uh, Klingon. Oh, is the movie ones? I mean, not you've got a you've right. got an original series one there. Yes, but uh, and, and in varying stages of of decades old disrepair. Yes, I have I have a D seven. I have a Katinga class. My son thinks it's so cool that I know what they are. That I that's so cool. And then of course, this is this is one that we hadn't that a lot of people probably have not seen. This, of course, the Reliant, the USS Reliant, Clark Terrell's ship. They got taken over by God. 
had to do that. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> had to. Had to. Had to. <coughs> so, so yeah, that was so that was that has been the that has been the project outside of mm-hmm. work and work. I've um, always been really fond of that ship design. It always seemed like a much more practical yeah, design. I like it too. The Miranda and, class. I mean, the Enterprise is is there's no arguing it's like, it's an iconic silhouette. But in terms of just practical ship design, it, it always seems a little a pain odd. in the neck to fix. Oh, no kidding! That's one of the reasons I, that the two Enterprises in my parents' basement yeah. is in disrepair. The first, the first model, the first model of the Enterprise, the movie model, the first one that I had, I had two. Uh, the first one I had, I was I was in the process of repairing. Mm-hmm. And just could not get the pylons to stay fixed. Right. Yeah, that was right? a problem of mine too. And so, uh, so my dad contrived these braces mm-hmm. to to pop the pylons into place and to hold them there. Well, these pylons, these braces are still attached. Mm-hmm. And I got the idea today. I was like, "Wow, it's just ugly. I need to I need to pop them off." So I popped them off and pulled a hole in the hull. Sure. Yeah. Because with the braces came off. Parts of the ship came with it. I thought, yeah. oh, now what do I do? Yeah, the uh, um, I had an original series Enterprise and I had a movie Enterprise. Huh? And both of them had problems with the pylons. Uh, the solution at the time was uh, tongue depressors. Right. Yep. You'd, yep. You'd cut them down so they were big enough to f- they were narrow enough to fit, and then you'd glue the whole thing you'd together. Use them and... as reinforcements yeah, yeah. on the inside. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that's, that's, I'd never thought about that. That's a very good idea. Now with the with the movie Enterprise, you wouldn't be able to do that. As well, because right. the pylons flare, mm-hmm. and there's more at the top than there is at the bottom, and it's that point. It's that point at the bottom, mm-hmm. because it only goes in so far right. into the slot. You know, tab A into slot B. You put the you put the pylon into the into the secondary hull, and at that point, that is the that is the most vulnerable, weakest mm-hmm. spot in the entire model. So I would get them fixed, but then they would never be. They'd quite- say, yeah. They'd you know, they'd sag, they'd be crooked. Or, or, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, so with this first model, when I pulled the braces off and I got holes in them, mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what to do. I ended up um, remembering that we have fire at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, candles and right, matches sure. uh-huh. and yeah. blowtorch and mm-hmm. whatever. Now, of course, this is after Star Trek Three, So I took my Dremel kit. My, you know the Dremel tool and the rotary saw and whatnot, and I cut a huge half moon chunk out of the out of the primary hole. I mean, I just beat the thing because I started with, oh, I started with doing Star Trek Two battle damage. Mm-hmm. So okay, well I could do that. Right. So, you know, to, 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 you know, started peppering it, and so, and it kind of got away from me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> Star Trek Three battle damage, right after the hull explodes. So so it ended up being this this terrible I mean it looked great when I was done with it it looked fantastic because it was just it was a dead hulk of a ship Sure sure um but yeah but uh but now I'm trying to repair the the enterprise that I've got the the one one thing that has struck me out of all of these these models have not aged well especially the enterprise mm-hmm. It has not maintained its color. You know, no, the that, model, that, that, plastic, white, yeah. that white plastic has has yellowed quite a bit with age. Mm-hmm. And when I was cleaning up my Millennium Falcon, a lot of that was water damage, water stains, and right. I can you know clean that off, and and it and it came out just fine. 
the Enterprise is not water. And so I, I painted mine. I painted mine white, mm-hmm. so there was an extra layer. Right. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. I'm uh, coming off the tail end of a cold, so a little bit of. <coughs> Give it to me. I'm. That's all part of my evil plan. You know what? If you want to take over, you you can take over. And the show went off the air. (laughs) And all the interns died. And the staff. You have to keep feeding them. You have to keep feeding the interns. I know. You've got to feed them and water them and let them see the sun every now and again. And sometimes you even have to give them coffee. No, no, okay, hold on. That's where you're doing it wrong. They bring you oh, the coffee. Oh, all right. I've done it. Well, see, that's not on my shirt. I have it. I have in in honor of Star Trek Day, of course. I am wearing my. That's what yeoman are for. Everything I yeah. Yeoman are supposed to bring yeoman. you their coffee. Yeah. Um. Well, I do have I do have a Navy ROTC cadet now in the house. Oh yeah. Cool. That'll give him something to do. Yeah. <laughs> Cook. Cook, where's my horse and pfeffer? <laughs> cross, cross pop culture jokes right Pretty there. Pretty much yeah, right, yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. So, bit of a leap there. When I was four or five, no, five, six, somewhere there. It was an early, early grade school. Yeah. My routine usually consisted of we come home from school. And I would go into the living room, and I would turn the TV on, and I would watch The Adventures of Superman with George mm-hmm. Reeves. Sure. It was on it was either Channel 11 or Channel 39. I can't remember which one. I think it was 11. It was on at something like 3.30. So it, it, if you if there was just any bit of a delay getting me from school, I'd miss it. Mm-hmm. Because it's right after school. It starts when school is out. and Sure, home. yeah. Most of the time, okay. Well, this one particular night, evening, day, I missed it. But I get a little bit of TV time before I have to do you know, any kind of schoolwork or anything. So I start flipping channels, mm-hmm. manually turning the knob and flipping because channels. Because we can't make it through an episode of this show without referencing our age. Take a shot. It's a lot. Everybody, yeah. just, just take a shot. So I'm, I'm flipping through the channels, and I run across this image. These two guys are standing in a corridor. One of them's a little bit taller than the other one. The shorter one is wearing a yellow shirt. Mm-hmm. The taller one's wearing a blue shirt. It's no big deal until I notice the guy in the blue shirt has pointed ears. What's this? You know, you remember uh, Jack Jack Skellington in, in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? Mm-hmm. What's this? What's this? I'm thinking, what is this? Did we this almost is... just go into our musical episode? Yes. Okay. This is fascinating to coin a phrase. Uh-huh. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. I can't even remember what episode it was. So I pull out the TV guide mm-hmm. because we actually had TV guides back then sure, in the yeah. newspaper. And it had all the listings. I'm flipping through. I was like, what, what is this? It was on KXTX Channel 39. I remember this because they, they were the ones that ran all the reruns. They did all the sure, Westerns right, on yeah. Saturdays, right? And I, there it is, Star Trek. What is this Star Trek? Hmm. I think I'll stick around for a while and see what this is all about. And I'm still sticking around to see what it's all about. It's, sure. It's, it's a lot of fun. I honestly couldn't tell you where where the first time I – I have no memory of when they first saw it. But it was probably in connection with my dad. We used to 
science fiction fans and we watched the old creature features on Saturday sure. afternoons yep. and we did science fiction films and, and television and a lot of my early book choices in science fiction where my dad was my dad had a rather sizable book collection mm-hmm. um, and uh, so do I and mine is a much broader one because of course I was more I got into more of the horror and fantasy stuff and my dad wasn't so much into the fantasy stuff but um, early enough on that the excitement of Star Trek the motion picture Oh yeah, uh, and McDonald's Happy Meals. Oh yeah, Whoa, Mc- yeah, I remember yeah, those. The, yeah. the Star Trek Happy Meals. Yep, and they all you know, for for those of you who look at Happy Meals now, and it's kind of there used to be a time, and I, and I hate going immediately to the when I was a child, well, and a million years ago. <laughs> but the thing was is that you had these gigantic, you had these really elaborate Happy Meal things. It was still fairly new mm-hmm. back at, yeah. back in the seventies. And Burger King had their own set of stuff, and it was just, I mean, it was a much bigger, and ultimately they realized it was really expensive to do all the stuff they were doing. Yeah. But Star Trek The Motion Picture had so many uh, tie-ins with various companies, and, and I remember being, I remember going to, we used to every now and again hit this flea market down in Wichita, Kansas, where I grew up, and it was this huge building. I mean, just... You know, there are there are big box retailers that are smaller mm. than this space, and like most flea markets, about ninety percent of it was terrible sure. and, and worthless. But ten percent was this world of amazing treasures, and one of them was this—I want to say it was this big—cutaway of the Enterprise. The movie oh Enterprise. right, remember I remember yeah, that. Yeah. I remember that. And this was yes. a mounted thing that was I, this really cool. I have thing. the I have the Star Trek Five version yeah. of that cutaway. Mm-hmm. Only it's and it's not it's not quite so big. It's only about for those of you who are just listening. It's only about that big, right? Because I, 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 I want to say it was like three feet by a, a yeah. foot and a half, two feet by three feet. It was fairly large. Yeah, the new the the, the other one was maybe about two foot wide. It was like an eighteen by twenty four. Yeah, type but I mean thing. it was a it was an elaborate deal. I remember getting the we're getting the action figures to Star Trek the motion picture and the bridge set. Yes. I remember the action uh, figures. I remember thinking they're so small because up until that point we had the Mego dolls for for Star Trek. Sure, right, right. right? But this is also the Star Wars uh, impact of Star Wars, so all the figures were coming out in the three and a half inch size. Yeah. But it was it was really a very We've talked about this before a little bit, um, in the sense that so much of the f- storytelling set in the future now has got the dystopian dark um, yes. humanity is doomed overtone and Star Trek was always these stories about hope and sure um, by the nature of dramatic storytelling conflict was the name of the game there was no was there ever a Star Trek well maybe uh, Shore Leave um, where the conflict turned out to be mostly uh, imaginary. imaginary but for the most part I mean Star Trek certainly there's a lot of death and violence in Star Trek and actually a fair amount of death and violence for shows that that was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but still, the, ultimately, the, the message is about hope because you had a multicultural crew. Mm-hmm. You had a united Earth. You had, you had a, a federation of planets where aliens and humanity were getting along. It wasn't, you know, sure, you, had, ali- part, sure. you had aliens who were the enemy. Yeah. But there were aliens who were allies. Mm-hmm. And so it became this, it was this really positive worldview that... Um, it so gave much us something to aspire to. Yeah, well, it's and and I think that that's something that has one of the reasons it's it survived as long as it has. I mean, 
Look, there are science fiction series that have certainly held on for a very long time. You look at, say, Battlestar Galactica, for all the, for all the gigantic differences between the TV show, the original movie, the TV show, mm-hmm. and the reboot. I mean, there, you know, for all the fact that there are differences, at the end, it's really about a ragtag fleet, the last survivors of humanity. I mean, the basic premise of the show is almost everybody dies. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me interrupt our train of thought on mm, Star Trek here, sure. because you mentioned Battlestar Galactica. This has been bugging me since forever. Okay. Okay. Release, release the pain. I, <laughs> Let it go. Put it out into the universe. <laughs> yes. I don't want to release my pain. I need my pain. All right, so... Um, Why does God need a starship? <laughs> You know, best great line in a, a not great, great line. movie. It is a great line. All right, so, um, so Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. In between the original series and Galactica 1980. Uh-huh. All right. I'm sorry. Galactica what? <sighs> Galactica 1980. It sorry, actually what? is a thing. Uh, it did exist. Uh, yeah, I remember. Have to I, acknowledge. I it. watched it live. I actually, I actually watched it here not too long ago. It, it, it doesn't hold up, but really? it's still, it's still kind of fun to watch just because it doesn't hold up. So, I distinctly <laughs> so remember TV commercials mm. for Battlestar Galactica in Sensor Round. Okay. Now, since around is a sound system, like yeah, yeah. THX, Dolby, sure, whatever, yeah, yeah. right? And for whatever reason, I have it in my head, and, and I cannot find it. Those of you who are out there listening, if you have any hints or, or anything about this, you can send us an email, h2o.com, because this, this has been bugging me for decades. Because I'm, I'm sure I'm remembering it wrong. Uh-huh. A Battlestar, Galact- a Battlestar Galactica movie mm-hmm, right. where they found Earth. Because Apollo dies. Uh, okay, so... Because you remember in Galactica 80, well, we're, we're, we had Boomer. Right. Starbuck was stranded on another planet. Apollo I, was dead. I don't think you ever actually saw that. I never saw the movie. Yeah, I saw I a commercial I for think... Battlestar Galactica in Sensor Round, and, and it's possible well, that... I, I imagine you did, because remember that the, the Battlestar Galactica was originally a film. Okay, so that may be what I'm It was a film and then a television show, because if you look at the original film, Baltar dies at the end. He's killed by the Cylons, and what's her name? Uh, Apollo's girlfriend. Serena. Serena. Um, Boxy's mom? Yeah. Boxy's mom dies. Right. So those are things that happened in the movie when they actually went to TV series. Because basically the the the, T, the first episodes of the TV series are recut film. Yeah, it, right. It's so the, they just changed the endings a little bit so that it would continue to go on. So they kept her around a little bit longer and she would still end up dying. Yeah. And you got, you know, you got because John Colicos. Because she became you a Bond girl. And, yeah. You, you know. You've got John Colicos. You keep him around for a while. Yes. If you have the choice. <laughs> yeah. That's why they brought him back to DS9. Uh, so... But it becomes it, – it really was this – this. Uh, and I don't want to bash on Battlestar Galactica, but, I mean, if you go back and you look at the original TV show, it's really bad. It's fun, and I was a huge fan of it at the time. Yeah, before the time. At the time – well, for the time, well, for the time, it was a blatant rebuff of Star Wars. And for the time, it was – I mean, it was, it was massively indebted to a lot of different things. And it also had the very – oddly enough, for a science fiction show that you wouldn't – I mean, it was a, there was a lot of stealth religion in there from mm-hmm. the creators of the show. Yeah. 
Um, not so much that it was it was preachy, but it was still there. I mean, a lot of it was was the <coughs> it was the more Mormon, Glenn, Glenn Mormon Larson's stuff. Mormon faith. Yeah. So, but even so, it was it was very much a product of its time. When you look at the writing and the characters and things like that, and so. it's funny you mentioned the pedigree with it being a ripoff of Star Wars. I remember seeing something somewhere that George Lucas had said. Um, that one of the reasons that Star Wars got made mm-hmm. is because of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Star Trek, the motion picture, got made because here comes Star Wars. Right. Because they were they were originally going to have you – know, Star Trek, the motion picture, originally was the pilot for uh, Star Trek Phase 2. Right. It was going to be a new TV series that was going to be the anchor show for a new television network from Paramount Studios. You remember that? <laughs> Which they would try again later. And and finally succeeded, sort of. To a degree. To a degree. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, what we've got now with the CW is part of all of that. But, um, yeah, you remember UPN? Mm-hmm. How many people out there remember the UPN? Well, network? when you consider something like UPN and you look at what the the landscape is now for the kind of of network um, branded programming on cable. Mm-hmm. I mean, UPN really did, really was a forerunner to a lot of what we have now. It just didn't work yeah. then as right. well as it could have. Um, it's interesting. The, you know, Star Trek, uh, Star Trek had legs. I mean, the idea had legs. The characters had legs. I mean, we've talked about before that, that, that I, I think really Star Trek falls into modern myth. You know, it's it's the King Arthur of the 20th century. It's the mm-hmm. Robin Hood yes. of the 20th century. It's it's that ability that we have as storytelling creatures to find those iconic characters and ideas, and we keep retelling those stories mm-hmm. for better and for, for better and for worse. Um, we're getting another King Arthur thing. Yeah, as a cop procedural. Uh. For the folks of you at home who can't see me, make this face. <laughs> He's making a face. I'm making a face. I like a good pro- cop procedure. I love a good. I love a good King Arthur thing. The, the thing that the thing that always struck me about Still. Star Trek, as opposed you know the original series, as opposed to the rest of them, mm-hmm. is you had with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, you had three sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. You know, Kirk was the coin. Spock and McCoy were the two faces of the coin because mm. because you had the logical, intellectual sure. side, you had the emotional side. So you had that division in Kirk's personality reflected back in Spock and McCoy. Right. And those three characters work so well together. And a lot of it is the performances. You can't you – can't, it would have been a completely different show if Mark Piper had still been – the the ship's doctor. Oh sure, after, or if Major Barrett had been had stayed number one. Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah. I, I think that one of the things that the movies never were able to do, uh, we talked about the differences in storytelling styles. There were you had the you had what one two parter? Was it only one two parter in the history of the TV show in the original Star Trek? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just the, the one. The menagerie was a one two parter. Episodic television, of course, in those days was every episode was a reset. Pretty you almost much. never got any reference to something that happened in a prior episode. Right. It just wasn't it just wasn't the way we were telling stories in television those days. By the time we got to the movies, the only reason that you were able to have because the movies weren't weren't doing really doing that with except blips, except rare exceptions. The movies weren't weren't really 
doing the whole two sides, you know, the, the emotional and, and, and the logical right. in the way that you could in the TV show. Because TV show was repetition. You saw that every week, every episode, you got logical yeah. Spock, emotional now, McCoy. Well, you did get a big piece of it in Star Trek too. Well, sure. But, but, talking but, about the Genesis device. But by the time you get to that, by the time you get to the movies, that had already been established. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to do – you were able to have those moments – and they were powerful moments in many cases. You know, Spock's decision to go down to the to, – spoiler alert. Uh, Spock's decision to go down uh, to fix the warp drive was a logical decision. Right. And it only – it played the way it did. That tragedy at that moment played the way it is because – Only because of the history. Because of the history. Which is one of the things that bugs me about what I'd heard about Star Trek Into Darkness because – Sure. No, it's, it's – it, Well, it's or, an honor, it's Batman, an honor, Batman it's an versus moment. Superman, any of those things mm-hmm. where you have – if you have the beginnings of a historical relationship. Right. If you're playing out – in the timeline, you're playing out – Right. 30 years later events at the beginning of when they met, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Right. Because yeah. you in, earned in it. Star Trek Into Darkness yeah. is not, that moment is not earned. And oddly enough, as someone who really thought that the series stepped up a notch with Beyond, um, if they had actually waited, done a completely different story, or actually done the same story, just dropped out the con thing, because they didn't need, the con thing was unnecessary to that story. Right. And dropped out the, the reversal of the death because it's Kirk who gets poisoned, who resets the warp drive, blah, blah, blah. Right. If and they had, he gets saved by magic blood. Magic blood. If Nobody they, will ever die ever again. They've except, got the magic transporters except, in the first movie. Except Star Trek Beyond does this. What? No, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Mag- magic what? Warp, transwarp what? No, no. Uh, we don't have those things. What are you, are you crazy? Yeah. What, what, what kind of storytelling would that be? They just completely ignore it, which is exactly what you needed. they needed to do. Right. But it's... It's so unearned that if by the time they got to the end, by the time you get to the end of Star Trek Beyond, if the next film, if they had, if they, if they had had to go to that well, which they did not, but they did anyway, if they had to go to that well, the fourth film, by the end of Star Trek Beyond, I think they might have been able to get away with it more so. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, they still wouldn't have been earned because it's, because the reason it was earned then was because it was Shatner and Nimoy and uh-huh. Kelly it was those people. And, the it's new... been, and, it, and they'd been at this for 20 yeah, years yeah, yeah. already. And so you'd had, you'd had generations, no pun intended, generations grow up with Nimoy as Spock. Yeah. And to have Nimoy, have, have that character die, spoiler alert. Um, twice. Twice. More than twice. Twice in the same movie. <laughs> um, to have him is, was an emotional impact. And, and the new movies... Um, again, you know, I think three films in, and the third one being probably, I think, actually story-wise, the strongest of them, they're closer to being able to have earned that with this with this cast. Yeah, but they're not there yet. I mean, you don't have, you don't have that decades-long history to go with it. No, and and I remember, and uh, you shouldn't have to either. I remember listening because I'm I'm one of those I'm one of those film film guys that I will listen to all the commentaries. Oh sure, right, me too. And uh, Nicholas Meyer's commentary on Star Trek II is so much fun to listen to. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so interesting to hear all of the stuff that had to go on mm-hmm. to make that movie work. And I remember uh, when they had been talking about the whole Spock death thing, and they put the Kobayashi Maru at the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
because of all the hue and cry that right. fans had, oh, there's this rumor that Spock's going to die. Right. Like, yeah. wah, 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 wah. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been one of those first circumstances where fan reaction had an impact on the story as far as oh, we maybe, know yeah. because you know there wasn't an internet back then i mean there would have been well, letter writing okay, I'd, campaigns i'd say, I'd say yes outside of, outside of the soap opera world because the soap opera world has had that for decades right but but as far as as far as the stories directly being impacted by fan mm-hmm. reaction now you know you had star trek being saved by the letter writing campaign sure but that didn't have anything to do with story that right, they were telling. Right. It was just, we want more of the show. Mm-hmm. And there have been other shows that have been saved that same way. Cagney and Lacey is one. Mm-hmm. Um, Jericho got a... Jericho, yeah. yes. Jericho with the peanuts. And so you know that, to me, I think that was one of the first documented events that, you know, fan rage, nerd <laughs> rage, outrage, how dare you do this to our beloved character made an impact enough that they d- actually did put that scene in because right. if I remember right and I could be wrong it's been known to happen um, the Kobayashi Maru scene was not in the original script it's entirely possible or or a variation of it right. you know it was something there but the, but to have Spock die at the mm-hmm. beginning and nod and a wink and oh not really um Probably one of the smartest things that they could do in that thing in that movie because it makes Spock's real death hit all that much harder. Sure, because like wait, wait, no, he, this isn't real, <laughs> and then it was. And I have to admit though, I spoiled it for myself, Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. because I had the book. See, I did that for Star Trek V. Yeah. And if you've ever read the Star Trek V novelization, Kids at Home... It's better than the movie. It's so much better than the movie. Yes. And I'm reading this going, this is actually pretty cool. Okay, Shatner directed this. All right, cool. And then I get into watching the film, and I'm going... This is not the book I read. What happened here? David Warner's even in this movie. Come on, guys. Yeah. (sighs) The, the, I had, I don't even remember how I got a hold of the book, but I had the book, uh, Vonda McIntyre's novelization, and I was reading, I was like, oh... Savick's half Romulan. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. I Completely you know, ignored in the in the, in yeah. the movie, and and um, it, it mattered a lot more in Star Trek Three, uh, where there was there was like fifty pages of backstory in the novel that had got nowhere near the screen. Yeah, and well, because it impacted the relationship she had with David. Exactly, all of that mm-hmm. just gone. Yeah. And I I want to say that part of that probably is because they switched actresses. Yeah, because no, when they changed to Robin Curtis. Nimoy changed the approach to the character. And and poor Robin Curtis, who got nowhere near oh, the know. respect for having to pick up a role yeah. and run with it. I mean, it's such a thankless task. Oh, no kidding. Well, and the fact that – okay, so the fact that Nimoy told her to play it differently. Mm-hmm. And I can see the motivation behind that because her mentor, her father, mm-hmm. essentially for all practical extents and purposes, has just died. Right. And she closes off emotionally. Mm-hmm. I get it. Okay. That I okay, that's fine. If you'd had one line somewhere in there yeah, it's, that it's, basically did that for us. It unfortunately <laughs> is an example of a role that is misserved by what is which what didn't make it to the screen. Yeah. And a lot of people blame her. Mm-hmm. 
for that Sabic when it was Nimoy who told her to play it that way. And you're right. She does, she does get um, short shrift with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I still wonder if she was pregnant when they left her on Vulcan. Well, and I, th- if I believe... she was pregnant, and if she was pregnant, mm-hmm. whose child? David's. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because, no, because you had the whole Ponfar thing right there in the middle. So there's there's the question. There's a theory. There's oh, a theory. I know, I know there's a, I you know could, there's it a could be theory. either one. It could go either there's way. A, it could be either a one. Theory. I think she would have been. Com- I, I think she would have been completely skeeved out by the thought. Of because this in this in many ways it was a father figure. I know, but she initiated to, to uh, help uh, him and get through I know, all that, but so even even what's so. the what's the logical progression of events? There? Even even so, I'm yeah. This and and in many respects, you don't even really get a lot of this on camera because the really her relationship between her and David is is it's in all, the book. Yeah, it's all, it's all gone from the film. Basically, yeah. you know. Well, like uh, well, as as is uh, the fact that Peter Preston is Scotty's nephew. You get it's, a, it's, well, in the, it's, it's in the a, ABC network cut. Yeah, it's in the director's cut, mm-hmm. but it's not in the theatrical release. Right, and the fact that Savick had a relationship with Peter Preston, mm-hmm. and, you know, as his as his tutor, mm-hmm. you know, all of that's gone. Yeah, and there's... we did see though <laughs> on on in 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 the movie, uh, she's got the one earring. Mm-hmm. And that made that made it still in there. And the explanation for that, of course, is that because she's um, she's not betrothed to anyone mm-hmm. is the Vulcan custom explanation for all of that. Because she's embracing Vulcan customs as much as she can, even though she's half Romulan, and she feels like she's fake. Well, and there's so much of the, there's so much of the subtext there with the half Romulan part that because you don't really get into that at all in the films, you end up there was a whole, and that was actually about the time when we were really kind of getting stuff from authors who were exploring the wider Star Trek universe in the novel range. Mm-hmm. And you had My Enemy, My Ally, uh, uh, the Diane Duane, which I still think is the, is the finest Romulan series of novels. Yes. Um, uh, John Ford's... John Ford? Yeah, John Ford, Ford's the Final, uh, final Reflection. reflection. Yes. Uh, and also his How Much for Just the Planet, which is the... You know, the it is, it is Star Trek the comedy. I just don't like that book. Oh, I love that book. I was reading that so book, and much. I was like, that is so funny. why did they do this well, book? Well, but have you, have you read and it? What in bugs the... me about it is that it's the same guy who wrote The Final Reflection. Have, you read, it in, a good have you read it in the context of a British farce? Because it's structured completely like a British comedy. Yeah, I... Yeah, I still and it I is just the still can't damn thing. Oh, I still it is can't it do is it. Star Trek the comedy in a way that I mean certainly there have been you know uh, Star Trek the Voyage Home had a lot of humor in it. Yeah, but um, how much for just the planet is straight up silliness and in a Monty Python vein. It's really Monty Python meets Star Trek. All right, so talking about and the novels real quick. So hard. Really Io9's got this article. Yeah, um, it's called "Someone Figured Out How Every Single Star Trek Novel Fits Together." Okay. All right. So two guys, uh, monikers, uh, their names, Eight of Five mm-hmm. and Thrawn, as in at Grand Admiral. Sure, Thrawn, sure. So, so basically he's untrustworthy. Right. They have put together this flow chart. That is a pretty I'm, impressive flow I'm chart. Looking, I'm, I'm going to show this. Uh, you, you guys looking at the video can't see it, but we'll link to it because yeah. this is this is impressive. 
This now, is a very impressive. How, this is how did they, every Star Trek novel, and they have figured out chronologically mm-hmm. and everything. And I haven't gone in and looked at the details. But how but do they? they how do they fit everything. in things like uh, Final Reflection was establishing a Klingon history I, I that know, that the that the movies completely it, threw out the window. All of it is is all right. I have to look here, at that too. So we're gonna have to take a look at that. In the meantime, you guys can contemplate. Whose baby Savick was carrying, and we are going to let you hear from superherostuff.com. And we are going to go get more coffee. And we're not going to think about whose baby Savick was carrying because we have other things to talk about when H2O continues right after this. This is Sci Fi for Me Radio. Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between. Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff, which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the must-have superhero mystery box. A $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com where heroes shop. I'm meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention this weekend, especially if you're a cosplayer, it helps to know what the weather's going to be like. Rain and fur don't mix very well, now do they? That's why every week, Sci-Fi for Me gives you the weather forecast for every city hosting a convention. Those we have on our list, anyway. And that's worldwide, not just in the United States. It's part of our commitment to bring you content you won't find anywhere else. Just click on the Conventions tab over at SciFiForMe.com, your portal to the science fiction multiverse. Whoa, where'd you get that shirt? Bought it at the convention last week. It's an atomic cotton design. Atomic cotton? Yep, they got t-shirt designs from sci-fi, horror, cult films. All the shirts were really unique and fun. I had to get one. I gotta wait for another convention, though. Nope. AtomicCotton.com. I ordered a shirt. Shipping was super fast. Atomic Cotton, where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon. Or find them on the web at AtomicCotton.com. Atomic Cotton. Shirts and art for fans by fans. Star Wars fans, McKenna Riley here inviting you to join me for the latest news, rumor, and innuendo from a galaxy far, far away. Salacious Crumbs only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. He, he captured the characters perfectly, but then he dropped them into into uh, uh, not quite a 1986 comedy, but almost a 1986 comedy with Monty Python like looming out of, off corner giggling. Um, and I and I'd, I'd read that after because that, that was his second book uh, in the Star Trek universe, and the Final Reflection is such a genius novel. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, and I was it was completely it was like here's this, and now we're going over here. <laughs> yeah. And I I just compl- I completely loved it because it just I was a theater guy at the time. I was in I was just getting into the theater department, um, and the humor is just. Re- I mean it's. It's Star Trek. It's silly Star Trek, which is, which is why I I, I bought into it. You don't have to like it. It's okay. Hey, oh yeah. you're wrong. Add it to the list. Add Things the you're list. wrong about. Yes. <laughs> Back on H two O, Jason Hyder along with Timothy Harvey, Hello. telling me I'm wrong again. Telling me I'm still wrong. okay. So, um, it's okay to disagree on which Star Trek novels are the best. Sure. In fact... What would, what would be your top five? Oh, wow. Um, Final <laughs> Reflection, My Enemy, My Ally. Actually, uh, uh, Doctor's Orders. Diane, du- Diane Duane holds a very, very... Mm-hmm. 
as deep, d- as does Di- Diane Carey. Yeah, Diane Carey, a deep yep. and powerful place in my heart and the novels. She she gave us a Romulan Empire that was deep and rich, and sadly, same thing with Final Reflection. Sadly, the this those books came out during a period when there was no Star Trek on television, right? And when Next Generation came along and the other shows, and they established the history, the the Romulans and the Klingons for the show, they basically ignored the book line, which is which is what happens with expanded you know, universes. When when Next Generation when Next Generation came out and the Romulans came back, I was like, why aren't they calling them Rehansu? I know. What? Wait. <laughs> why? Yeah. Hold on. That was such a good story. Well, Why aren't they and, using it? And you also ran with a um, really strong female character who basically, yeah. for all the fact that it's the Star Trek cast, she's the main character. Mm-hmm. The Kirk and Spock and McCoy and everyone else end up being supporting characters. And, and that book would not get published now. Neither would Yesterday's Son. Well, you wouldn't because well, be, yeah, because they completely contradict what we've got going on in the large universe. But at the same time, um, what was really one of the things I thought was really interesting about that was that they she looked at some of the the mythology of Star Trek in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. She looked at the the power of names. Naming is in, in her in her Romulan the Rihansu because uh, of course Romulan is a, is a human term for them. Um, their their culture, the, the the power of names in their culture is very important. Right. And so the idea of a ship called Enterprise, there's a reason why that ship kept coming back, why that crew kept succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the Intrepid, the the Vulc, all Vulcan starship that had a terrible track record for getting out there <laughs> and getting attacked or destroyed or its crew uh-huh. getting messed up. Um and again, it was because it was the naming, and it was something that Kirk had never thought about. It's just the power of names and what how we how we read into the naming of things ourselves, right. and how we influence that. And and of course, she was looking at it from almost a religious standpoint because it fit the way in her culture. But there's also this idea that because we call something enterprise or intrepid or valiant or any of those things, we kind of imbue those things by our own our own internal drives mm-hmm. to, to shape that. And it was a very interesting idea. All right. So, so my enemy and my ally, uh, doctor's orders, doctor's orders, final reflection. Final doctor's reflection. orders is fun. Yeah. It's, it's well, and, and, uh, um, a McCoy centric novel that puts McCoy in command of the enterprise in a way that actually makes sense. Yeah. Which there was always that you get the next generation. and be like, how, why is Troy is in command? What's going on here? You don't give the psychiatrist the keys to the car. Uh, when, but at the same, you know. I actually, well, see, there was because there was something. I guess it was after. It was after that disaster episode where she ended up in command, where she actually started practicing and taking the classes and whatnot. Right, yeah. Because, and, yeah, it was actually an internal yeah. logic that actually worked really well. For yeah, the and they explained that out that you know some. Even if they weren't in a command line, if you were at a command level rank, right. mm-hmm. you could go through this. It's basically supplementary officer training, so you can do. Command. And you saw her go from yeah. the the casual cheerleader low outfit. cut outfits to the to the actual uniform, right? And uh, we have Captain Jellicoe to thank for that. Yes. yes. Um, 
I, and I think I've told this story before. Um, our program monitor will probably ding me if I have. Because um, we have more than <laughs> one now. Uh, yeah, speaking of which, I got, we got... We got dinged on our fall TV preview episode. Did we? Yes. I had somebody send me a note. Did y'all ever start talking about the fall TV? Eventually, <laughs> sort of, in yeah, a roundabout just, way. Just, I got in 50 minutes, and I had to turn it off because y'all weren't talking about the topic you said you were going to talk about. Yeah, well. Um, they've met us, right? The inter- uh, the the um, the episode where the enterprise hit some cosmic string thing it was on captain picard day because he was stuck in the elevator with the kids oh sure right and um riker was in engineering mm-hmm. and the only people on the bridge at the time were troy and o'brien mm-hmm. and some lower level officers and troy being the ranking officer on the bridge she ends up in command right. they are looking at her like um well you're you're the lieutenant commander i wrote an episode of star trek the next generation mm-hmm. that did the exact thing that was in this episode and i wrote that episode a year over a year before that episode aired mm-hmm. i had written it did the first draft, mm-hmm. stuck it in a drawer. Mm-hmm. And a year later, I thought, you know, I had to pull that that story out and polish it up and see. Because at that, but, you know, by that time, Wesley was gone. Sure. I was like, yeah, yeah let's, let's do that. And because we had Roe now. Mm-hmm. So I had a really nice dynamic between Roe and Worf. Because basically with my, my premise – was that there was no way team on the planet. Right. So most of the command officers are down on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, Riker, Worf, Data, they're all down there. Sure, right. Geordi's in engineering. Mm-hmm. Picard gets injured because something something a happens thing, that shakes yeah. the ship and sure. throws throws Picard into mm-hmm. the door and he's down in sick bay now, injured. Be a good you know, this would be a good episode Patrick Stewart could direct, right? I'm thinking, and you know, I'm sure, thinking, of course, you know, right, sure, yeah. let him direct it. And there. Sure. Leaving Troy in command of the ship. Right, right. And, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I thought it was a pretty good episode. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, they did it. <laughs> now, let this be a lesson to you folks. Those of you who have any kind of creativity at all, any kind of inkling at all, any kind of an idea that you want to try... Do it. Yeah, no kidding. Don't sit on it. Don't sit there and let people talk you out of it. Don't sit there and talk yourself out of it. Um, I've run into this. You know, I've, I've we did uh, staff calls mm-hmm. over the weekend last week, and I was telling everybody, you know, if there's anything that you want to try, right? Whether you've done it before or not, anything that you want to try, I want you to. I want you to try. Don't let your lack of skills in a particular area, don't let your lack of experience, mm-hmm. your lack of knowledge keep you from trying right. something. Yep. You, know, you don't talk yourself out of it before you ever have a chance oh, to so do it. Oh, it's so easy to do. It is. It is very easy to do. Yeah, the older do you get, the easier it is to do it. But, yeah, if if you have, you know, and this is anything in life. This is 
you know, asking the girl out, going for the job, getting the getting the car, you know, mm-hmm. what whatever you have it in your head that you want to do. Figure out a way to do it. Or at least try it. At least try. Don't 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 let yourself get to the point where you sat there and said, I didn't try. I didn't even try. Yeah, life life is too short to live it full of regrets. Two years two years are spent being the president of the Independent Filmmakers Coalition Coalition of Kansas City. I'd be very pleased to do that. I was very happy to. I'm no longer am. Congratulations. Thank you. Still on the board, but it's two years where I didn't make any films. Mm-hmm. I made fil- I helped people make films. I yep. worked with other people's films. Um, and making films is something I really, really enjoy doing and haven't been able to do it. Because it's, it's a time consumer. It's a job. It is. It's a job in itself. It is. And, and um, yeah, so I'm actually, I had this really kind of sense of, I'm going to do these things again. Because, well, and, you know, and we still have, I've, I've got a box full of, of scripts and story ideas and you know, short stories and novels and you know, different things that I just never have written. Well, and there's stuff that we want to do story-wise here. We, yeah. we want to do some original programming in terms, of, in terms of storytelling, whether it's podcast or video or things like that. We're thinking, leaning towards some podcast stuff. That would be audio performance, you know, well, original and, audio performance and, and adaptations yeah, here that we want to do that we just haven't had time. James and I had come up with an idea for a new Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, and and because we had been watching all of the Phase Two New Voyages, sure. you know, fan yeah. films and Farragut and all those others, and he says, "Let's make a new Star Trek," and that ended up being Comet Tales, mm-hmm. which is this really big, elaborate. I mean, we've got all of these different stories, and we've got some scripts written out, and we've even you know got some animatics started, oh, cool. all of this stuff. He's now 14. Mm-hmm. He had this idea when he was five. And that's how long this has been just sitting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you get – and again, this goes back to what I was saying before. You know, don't, don't pass it up. Don't pass up the chance to do it. Because I've been sitting here nine years on this thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything with it. And – you eventually get to the point where it's past too late, yeah, and you can't do it. So, and, and sometimes that's for the best, but sometimes most of the time it's not. I think, you know, you look at to to bring it back around to Star Trek. You look at Gene Roddenberry's output. He made a lot of different shows. Mm, yeah, a yeah. lot of them didn't go anywhere. Mm. A lot of pilot shot movies made, TV movies made, and. He would work some of the other some of the ideas into later later forms. The the Quester tapes right. really was a pilot for Data. Yeah, um, and well, so, and some people even there's a fan theory out there that that Data is Quester, <laughs> or or at least related in some way. It's entirely possible. The um, uh, what was the, what was the name of the one with the very what is it after oh after. It was the it was the one set in the future where the character it's basically a Buck Rogers riff where the guy falls asleep in modern times and wakes up in the future and he did a couple different versions of it. Um, ultimately, Andromeda was oh, a different spin oh, on it. Oh 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 um uh yeah because I just actually saw uh, it was oh shoot. All right. Um, to the internet, to the you internet. go look at that. Um, <laughs> because it was it was it was one of the shot. ideas that he, he um, had. Um, it was called. Be, no, it was something beyond beyond Earth beyond. I don't remember. Right. It was a. Uh, um, 
Oh, for heaven's sake. John Saxon. Was yes. In it. <laughs> yes. He was the lead in the, in the second version of it, I think. Right. And, and basically it was, it ultimately ended up being, after he had died, his estate, Major, Major Barrett, uh, took the basic idea of it and turned it into Andromeda. Hmm. Um, where... Oh, what was that called? Once, it wasn't One Step Beyond. No, it was it was interesting because it was he he was consistently playing with stories ideas about the idea of the future and and the idea that there would be some some thing that would happen that would would interfere with humanity's development forward and right. it would always be in in Star Trek it was it was very much in the past you had the eugenics war and you had a nuclear war mm-hmm. which and one right on top of the other which when you consider um, what we now know about nuclear wars. <laughs> It was a very optimistic view to have that we would have we would be anywhere near being able to rebuild ourselves to a technological level to be in a few hundred years yeah, out no in kidding. space again uh, or out in space period because it was really quite a uh, uh, yeah we we know a lot more now about um, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, Radiation. Uh, oh, goodness, yes. It would be very much a, a completely different world. Um, let's see. He did a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, the Lieutenant was one where he got Nimoy on. Um, Star Trek. Do, 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 do. I know this is really gripping for those of you who are watching and listening <laughs> as we look to the internet here. But it's imp- I, I, honestly, it's important. Um, because he kept doing things... He also wanted to do a film version of, of iRobot yeah. at one point in his career, which is unfortunate that he never was able well, to. Well, it was called Planet Earth because he played Dylan Hunt. John Saxon is yeah, Dylan, Dylan Hunt. Yeah, Dylan Hunt, so same thing. Um, yeah, and, and it's you also look at some of the things that he tried to do with the continuing on, or Genesis 2 also was, yeah. the, same, was, was the other attempt at it. So he, he would try and tell these stories about the way humanity was changing and what we were becoming. And there's a subplot in the novel of Star Trek The Motion Picture, which wisely, I think, later writers completely ignored, which was that whole subsection of humanity that was evolving into almost a hive mind of telepaths. Oh, right. And that was one of the things that he was looking at in terms of exploring exploring and story stuff. And a lot of other writers sat there and went, uh, you realize that sounds kind of horrible, right? <laughs> and I think that, I think that for, for it's, an, it's an interesting idea to explore. But if you notice those hive mind concepts, the idea of a, of a group of people who all think the same completely and have to share the same consciousness, in science fiction, they generally don't show up as being... On the side of the angels. No. Well, because, look at the Borg. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that so some of that stuff continued on, but there was a whole, there was a whole lot of. I believe, in fact, I want to say, and I, maybe you can remember if I'm wrong in this. I, I'm, You're I'm wrong. Right. I, there we go. I seem to recall that Kirk. One of the reasons that was even part of the subplot of no, the novel of motion picture was that Kirk knew somebody who had gone into that. Um, and I can't remember if I'm that. I, I know I remember that. You know, I want I want to say that Lori Siana had come out of that. Mm. His wife. Well, and you also remember that. Oh, that's entirely possible. Um, remember this? Of, yeah. Now, now his wife in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, ex-wife, I guess, because mm-hmm. by that point they had split up. The one who dies on the transporter. Yes. Experiment. Yeah. So. 
if if you when you saw the motion picture and you saw Jim Kirk mourning the death of his ex-wife, oh wait, no, you no, didn't. You didn't. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know why that was in the book and it wasn't in the movie. Right, because I mean, even in the book, you didn't get that sense that it was like the gut punch it should have been. Um. Well, because you, 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 they had been they had been separated for a long time even at that point. So, I mean, yeah. the fact that he, you know, he even, you know, it's it's it'd still be the kind of you know we're both you and I both have you know, ex wives and 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 exes, and still it would be it would be painful to mm-hmm. lose them, even no matter how no matter how badly the relationship ended, they're still a part of your life. You're still going to feel it when they go. A little bit, yeah, yeah. So, you would think that'd be a reaction, but you know, the novels, the novel, the novel lines had uh, certainly the adaptations. Had a much richer story, but you can do that in a novel. That you can't do it on on film. Yeah, and that actually gives me a chance that I can plug <coughs> my uh, interview with Alan Dean Foster. Yeah, because when he does that with his novelizations, he says, especially when they get the science wrong, I try to fix it. <laughs> because there's stuff in his novel version of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. That gives more depth and more meaning and explanation and understanding to why things happen the way they happen in the movies. So sure. he says he tries to do that quite a bit. Alien Three. Oh yeah. Um, you guys could go back and watch it's on it's on our YouTube channel when he talks about doing the novelization of Alien Three. Mm-hmm. One of the worst experiences that he's ever yeah. had in his career. So, but we won't tell that story. We'll but let you him. go find that story and watch it for yourselves. <laughs> you know, it's it's. One of the things that Star Trek has always managed to do was be fun. Even even when it went dark, you would and, and it would earn those darker moments. Mm-hmm. You would and you would and the really emotional, powerful moments that you would get with the death of Spock or or Kirk's son dying. Right. Um, there was a there was a tone of fun and pleasure between the characters no matter what was going on off camera yeah because plenty of stuff out there about personalities off camera <clears throat> yeah um but you'd have that you'd have that sense of companionship and fun and enjoyment and i think they like they said you know i'm as somebody who thinks they finally got it right in the third of the new movies yeah. they got that they got that balance right mm-hmm. so much so that i have i'm actually part of, and i found there's more of more of us out there i, I did not know this I actually, and I've been quiet about this up until now. This is, a, this is the first admission. I actually wait. Am I going to have to fire you after you say this? No. Okay. No. Right, no. 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 Maybe. All right. Um, well, as much as I did not like the Beastie Boys song in the first film, when when that same song appears in in Star Trek Beyond, um, my reaction was this. That's awesome. <laughs> it's but it 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 really fit in that sense that um, every now and again there's an element of silliness to Star Trek. There's a there's a there's a joke, or there's a lighthearted banter, or there's something where there's just the joy of humor. Right. And this happens to be one of those moments, and I'm like, all right, and sure, okay. But it's. <laughs> It's unfortunate that I think it took three films for them to get there. To get there, and and it took three films in the addition of Simon Pegg, who's a Star Trek fan, as to the writing staff, and and just shape the film, because that really I think was made the difference. Well, I don't know. Orsi and Kurtzman claim to be Star Trek fans. Well, okay, but you can be just because you're a fan doesn't mean you understand something. That's true. Or understand it in the way that larger fandom can relate to, because you got, you know. 
you can understand something and understand it very, very well, but still and not, not be, be able, able to tell anybody about it. Right, or, so, or, or find a way to get that out. I mean, and all the fact that I'm not a huge fan of a lot of their writing, um, it doesn't mean they don't get it. It means to me they don't know how to put it into a script. Right. Um, you know, but whatever. But Other, and, other novels, <coughs> well, you think, that are, are good. Oh, I, wow. I like, um, I like um, Q and Law. Uh, Final Reflection. Final Reflection. Q and Law is the one where um, there's uh, the Montagues and Capulets basically in space. Right, so there's yeah, two trading, sure. trading mm-hmm. families that are uh, coming together in marriage. Mawa, just what brings <laughs> us to come on. Today. Um Different, different. Uh, spell and magic helmet. Um, <laughs> also, so, <laughs> so <laughs> of course, being an intergalactic wedding, uh, there are representatives from various different cultures sure, there, sure. including the uh, the the representative from Beta Z, mm-hmm. uh, daughter of the fifth house, mm-hmm. holder of the sacred chalice, mm-hmm. uh, Loxana Troy, who captures the attention of Q, right? Who finds her. Fascinating. Of course. And Peter David is probably one of the best Star Trek writers. And when Loxana gets the power of Q, because Q gives it to her so she can handle Q. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, for those of you who have at home, you do need a playbook, but you can read this book because there's there's more than one Q. Sure. Because you remember, yeah, Cor- yeah. Corbin Burnson played Q. Yep. Um, but yeah, when is <laughs> to that... That whole scene, there's one in particular where he's he's running down the corridor being chased by bulls, I think, or something. I mean, just <laughs> just when she when she goes after him at the end, you know, because he's been playing her this whole time, and she's like, "How dare you!" And she just hauls off and goes after him. I was like, "This is brilliant." There's another book that Peter David wrote called The Rift, yeah, which is set mostly in Captain Pike's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Peter David is one of those – there's only one of his Star Trek books that disappointed me, and that's the one where Catherine Janeway dies um, because the characterizations felt off. Mm. But every other thing, especially in the, in, the, in the classic Trek, the characterizations, the voices, everything are so spot on perfect. Yeah. And it was like I can I can hear yeah. the actors. Well, the best of the best of the writers lines. really did that. I mean, uh, you know, Diane Carey, Diane Duane, Ford, and Crispin, Grand Crispin, uh, they all managed to really capture the that necessary voice in your head that you mm. hear when you read it. I actually was a big fan of some of the books that went beyond, like the the Deep Space Nine novels that continued on the stories. Yes. Because I thought they were interesting because they had they didn't have the restrictions. They knew they were almost there was almost no chance of these characters coming yeah. back on screen. And well, so it enabled them to have some freedom to go tell those stories in different ways that I thought was, was and DS9, really interesting. And DS nine was the first of the shows to get that continuing line in the books afterwards. Mm-hmm. And of course now you know, get you got next generation of Voyager. Sure, yeah. But now there, it's all just one continuous. They're all in the mix now, right, and, yeah. and I think that's kind of kind of fun because the stories just kind of mesh together. So you don't know which character is going to show up where. Right, they're all in there. 
Well, and I think which what, I think is fun. Another thing that's really interesting is that for a show that was originally three seasons long of wildly varying quality, we have to be honest here. Let that be your last battlefield. Spock's brain. Cat's paw. Yeah, all the way around. There's, 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 and and a lot of that has to do with production costs and mm. you know a lot of Producer. different studio from interference. But at the same time, it is something that started. It caught an imagination of a lot of people, and then it continued on to having a a series of films of varying degrees of quality. Star Trek Five, um, and a and of inspired TV shows that carried it on. You had Next Generation, right. you had uh, Deep Space Nine, you had Voyager, you had Enterprise, and for all of the, all of those shows had moments. The first season of, of, of Next Generation is awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. And the fact that it actually stayed on the air and got a second season. And you look at the, 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 the arc of the quality of that show is really sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a lot of... And, and some, unfortunately, some of that was, we've got these original... We've got these early scripts... We're gonna make. We're gonna adapt them. It's like no, no, no. Don't stop it. Stop adapting. Yeah. Um, you know, write your the, own. All the phase two stuff. Oh god, yeah. yeah. But you know, and for what? Forever you can argue about the the first couple seasons of Enterprise. By the time by the end by the time Enterprise was getting canceled, they had finally found their footing. Yeah, it was called Manicoto. Yeah. Um, and and for the fact you have Deep Space Nine. Well, it's, I, I enjoy Deep Space Nine from the beginning, and the fact that it it went to the darker places of Star Trek's universe. I just actually finished, worked. I just finished binge watching DS Nine, and I have to admit that last episode, I teared up when everybody was leaving and mm-hmm. it's done and it's all gone because mm-hmm. I have just spent the better part of well, I don't know six months. Mm-hmm. Not seven years, right. but uh, you know, it, it's all right there, compact, and mm-hmm. watching this, and it really does play out a whole lot better when you binge watch, oh, because it, the, the the long arcs and stuff. It, but, it, it was honestly the first of the Star Trek shows to embrace the yeah. concept of a season long arc. Yeah. Now I mentioned let that let that be your last battlefield. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago, the youngling had Turnabout Intruder on mm-hmm. Netflix, sure. and I sat and watched it with him. And it's actually not as bad as a lot of people want to remember it being. Mm -hmm. And then Star Trek Continues drops their new episode this week. Oh, yeah. Embracing the Winds. Uh Uh-huh. With Claire Kramer as the guest star. Mm Mm-hmm. And the look on your face tells me that you haven't watched it yet. I have not watched it yet. It is the first Star Trek Continues episode that I could not finish. Oh, no. Because it is their... Let that be your last battlefield. Oh, dear. Because they fully embrace gender politics. Why can't a woman be in command of a Constitution-class starship? And every single character acts out of character in order to belabor a ham-fisted, preachy, feminist... Men are pigs. I mean, the uh, the the reason why women haven't been in command of Constitution class starships mm-hmm. is because of the Tellarites. Because the Tellarites don't respect women in authority positions and whatnot. So, you know, so that's the actual reason. Women don't get to command the the flags, the big the big ships because of the pigs. I mean, 
it's mind-boggling how over the top you remember let that be your last battlefield was oh, the yeah. whole racism yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. i mean completely you know punch you in the face with a two by four hey this is what this story is about type mm-hmm. of thing right yeah that's what this does and it well, is and, so and overdone and overcooked and terrible it is so the concept wise see there's there's a difference between the idea of the story mm-hmm. and the execution of the story sure. this is so over the top. Well, I'll tell you what. Once it, you know, I don't. It's it's terrible. I couldn't finish watching it. You have to. You have to understand. There's a tendency in fandom to want to go back and explain things, which I understand. But to explain things in the context of a show in the 1960s, you would not have had a female captain on a show in the 1960s because in the world. Of the 1960s, audiences right. were not going to accept a female captain. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, all right, all right. Because um, this goes back to Turnabout Intruder when you get, when right. you get there. Right, and so I think that you get – but it, it, it was a cultural thing of the viewing audience, right? And so that was a recognition in the, concept, in the context of, of the storytelling of the time. You didn't have female commanding officers, and your audiences right. weren't necessarily going – your audience for, for – not great reasons in retrospect, clearly, um, we're not going, to rec- not going to recognize a female commander as no. being something that was... In fact, that's the reason we didn't have number one. Major Barrett, I, yeah, I you know, know she's know. the first officer of the Enterprise, and the, and the studio sat there and went, oh, However, no, we can't have that. Hold on. Oh, oh, okay. Done. You're, oh, not done. Keep going. But there is a tendency <laughs> of fandom yeah. every now and again to sit there and go, we have to explain this. Mm-hmm. And some of that's really cool. Sometimes fan theories and fan explanations and and shows like shows like the various Star Trek continues, you know. Sometimes they do it pretty well. They do it really well. Um, but and ha- not having seen the episode and and not necessarily, you know, so I can't I can't speak to to whether or not I I would have the same reaction. You won't. But at the same time, well, it depends. Bad writing is bad writing. I don't, you know, I'm I. You won't find it as bad as I did. Well, if it's bad writing, it's bad writing. I can, you know, I'm, I it's, let that let that is. be your let that be your last battlefield for all its good intentions is bad writing. Yeah, this this the, you yeah, know this one, there's this there is some some top. Star Trek stories that that had great intentions. The Omega Glory, okay, it yeah. is it is some of the most heavy handed garbage writing with a great cast. Well, and and that you know you go back to Turnabout Intruder because you know you talk about you know. At the time mm-hmm. of sure. the show, you know, the audience wouldn't have accepted a woman captain. And, you know, that whole thing in that episode, mm-hmm. right. you know, the idea of, you know, Janice Lester being felt like she couldn't be the captain because, you know, she's a woman and all of right. that. Mm-hmm. But the way that episode played out, it was very clear in that episode because I remember noticing this because I was paying attention to it this time. I was actually watching for it mm-hmm. this time around when, when the episode came up. It's very clear, and even in a couple of places, Kirk even says, "It's not because you're a woman; it's because you're crazy." Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't right. have anything to do it doesn't have anything to do with your gender. Right. It has to do with the fact that your mind is not balanced. But I think I think what ends up happening is because you don't see female captains in the original series, it's assumption by omission. For all oh, you know, okay. off camera. Yeah, you're, you're, but it gives it gives Star Trek continues just the little bit of rope 
that they take and they just well, like I said, run with bad, it. Bad it's, writing is bad writing. It is terrible. And and quite frankly, just listening to the just listening to the premise that it's the Tellurides. Um, it's the men are pigs. Well, argument. Even, I mean, well, that's, that's what. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you're talking about ham-fisted. Your basic bottom line there is a flawed argument at its core because it doesn't matter whether it's whether it's the Tellurides or the Vulcans or anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, if they're using if that if that's their direct correlation thing, it's it's a it's heavy-handed bad writing. But even so, whatever. Even even if you slot it in, you know, um, you know, well, you slot it in. Any it's Spock. It was Spock's fault. Spock's the one who. Even if you put him there, right. the logic is completely flawed. Because if you are in the context of the Star Trek universe, for reasons that don't make a whole lot of sense, even if you twist it around, Earth is like really, really powerful in the context of the story. Which is, you know, well, it's a human centric show. Sure. Yeah, blah, yep. you know. It's going to happen. Right. Um, and quite frankly, that's when you look at the Tellurides and go, Get your own ship. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Vulcans did it exactly, yeah. and well, and and that was one of, that was one of the things that the book line did really, really well is that it recognized that not every starship was going to be as integrated as others for for a host Re- of yeah, reasons. Reason. Yeah, Vulcan, well, you know, Spock Spock being the first officer on the Enterprise was an exception, mm-hmm. and there were you know the Intrepid was an all Vulcan ship because the Vulcans preferred. To have a crew where it was all Vulcans, right? And you know the the Diane Duane books had, you know, a ship that was basically all the non-human, non-humanoid aliens. You know what I it was would built have gigantic scale. Love to have seen somewhere in in the either TV or in the movies or something, Ensign Narat. Oh yeah, the it's, Horda. Oh yeah, um, or or what's the what's the tentacle one? Oh, the communications the officer, the Sulamid. Yes. Yeah. Oh crap! What was Can't his name? His name. What was his name? Yes. Yeah. But anyway, oh, that would have been fun. So here, here's the you know. So and now you can do it. There, oh yeah. There's a there's a place and a time for recognizing, and and I, and I agree. I think I think it's a valid place and a valid time to work a story that recognizes the fact that the 1960s you were not going to have the fa- we had we had we had women in positions of power uh, in some episodes. You had you had. Uh, uh, not white characters mm-hmm. in positions of power. Commodore Stone, and they were these were ra- these were not things that you were seeing in American culture at right. the time. Okay, right. and it was just it was just the product of the world we were. The fact that you don't, I don't think, and and others will disagree with me on this. I don't think you have to go back and explain everything to fit. No, you don't. A universe that has to evolve. Okay, Star Trek has to evolve to be continue telling new stories. The universe has to evolve. You can't. It's like any because it, it is modern myth. Mm-hmm. It is. It is uh, King Arthur. It is Robin Hood. It is Batman. It is Superman. It is all these things that have to keep evolving because we have to keep telling these stories. Right. And so we've got a we've got a new crew of the Enterprise playing those characters. At some point or we've got a new TV show coming out that's gonna have a whole new crew. Yep. Told from the point of view of the first number one, officer. Number one. And that's they're fun. the main character. That's gonna be great. And you know what? In another ten years or twenty years or fifty years there's gonna be a new Star Trek. There and was it's an episode gonna change. Do you remember the episode of Next Generation called Below Decks? The entire episode was told oh, yeah. from the standpoint of those four junior officers, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Nurse Ogawa right. and Vorek, I think, was the Vulcan, uh, and a couple of others. Ensigns. Yeah. Were, I mean, they were they were 
low on the totem pole, and the entire episode was told from their point of view. Yeah, I thought it was, it was that fun. Has to, that has to be the, uh, in the, the germ of the idea for red shirts. Was it Scalzi's red shirts? Could be. I, I'm Could sure be. he sat there and watched the episode I, with, I remember. Hey, a, you know. <laughs> I remember and there was a book. Oh, there were two books. I, I think there was it was either Diane Duane or Diane Carey mm-hmm. wrote them. Uh, Dreadnought. Carey. That was Diane Carey. Yeah, yeah. Dreadnought. You know, uh, Dreadnought and Battle Stations were the mm-hmm. two books. They were back to back, and they were completely told first person mm-hmm. from a completely different, brand new character, right. which nowadays would be considered a Mary Sue character, um, because she's not the main part of the crew. Right. Yeah. Um, but and sometimes I, a Mary Sue character is okay. It's context. I'm also going to recommend Peter David's New Frontier mm-hmm. series sure. of books. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, it explores a very different part of the Federation. And and I think the fact that it kind of followed after Deep Space Nine, giving you a chance to go to the darker places, uh-huh. and still had that sense of posit, you know, a positive view going forward. Well, plus you also had... Um, uh, Commander Shelby mm-hmm. is part of that crew, sure, right. and uh, Robin Leffler mm-hmm. is part of that crew. It was always nice to see those those characters. You know, the recurring characters show <laughs> up again. Um, Greg Cox has two really, really good books. Uh, the the Saga of Khan, Nuni, and Singh, mm-hmm. the Eugenics yes. Wars books. Uh, I'd highly recommend those, especially the first one. The first one is so fun because it's got so many different pop culture references in that book. <laughs> Everything's in that book. I just <laughs> the Bionic Woman is well, in that book. It is probably the closest that, even though Star Trek is in fact uh, part of the Wold Newton universe. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, that's very much a it's, it's very well the Wald Newton book. Yeah. Um, um, and also the, the Wald Newton universe establishes that Dick Grayson is in fact the great great ancestor of Amanda Grayson, who would be Spock's mom. Oh, that is so cool. So, and also through that bloodline is he's he's also a descendant yes. of Sherlock Holmes. Um, there was uh, there it's was all book, real folks. There was a book. Uh, in the old series of books, not not the not the Bantam books, yeah. but earlier, um, where they merged, they mashed up Star Trek with Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Call me Ishmael, yeah, yeah. or I, uh-huh. I, I Ishmael or Ishmael, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it was called. It was just Ishmael. Ishmael yeah. yeah, and there's mm-hmm. a there's a Grayson mm-hmm. in that book. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Stemple. You know, he's a descendant of Aaron Stemple from which was. Mark Leonard's character, if I remember right, right yeah. and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. So it's, it's all meta. It's, it's all, all meta. very meta. Well, and of course, Star Trek comic books have had uh, crossed over the X Men uh-huh. in both in both original and DC, and, and then crossed over the DC. Oh, yeah, it's been it's yeah. it's kind of amazing. There, there's also but it's culture. It's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's built into the culture now. In Greg Cox's first book, Water, it even brings in the Equalizer because yeah. Gary Seven is part of these two books. Right. And he's, and of course, Control. Robert Lansing and, yeah. is the actor who played Control. All right. of that. Oh, everything. It was just so brilliant. And, and I, it even it even explains the submarine being converted into the into the ship and everything. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. It's, complete it's complete side note. Uh, as much as I love Denzel Washington as an actor, the Equalizer movie. I never saw it. It's a really fun action movie. But it's not the equalizer. Well, it's a equalizer. It's yeah. not the equalizer. No. So, because among other things, yeah. no Robert Lansing. And I realize it's, you can't have Robert Lansing, but that's not the point. But still, yeah. well, you know, you know, um, Robin Curtis was in that show. 
Oh, Laura Lo- everybody was in that. But well, she was one of his team at one point. Everybody was in that show. That was yeah. in a, that was the, that was one of those shows. That you look at the number, the guest stars uh-huh. on that program, and it's like a, it's a cavalcade of stars. It's like they're all there. It's like, yeah. and they all went and like half the half of them went on to be like the stars now. The yeah. people that we look at and go, well, they're amazing. Yeah, well, they got their start back Edward in the eighties. Edward Woodward going, come with me if you want to live. Yes. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. If you have if you have your favorite episodes, favorite uh, – we didn't even talk about favorite episodes. No, no. I mean, we could go we can on come back to this. Hours I mean, hours. We actually have you – know, we can yeah. – obviously, we can come back to this. Favorite episodes, favorite books. Sure. Um, f- which which is your favorite series, favorite captain? I mean, you're going to see all of this stuff on the internet all of, all over the place right now anyway. Um, but send us your send us your favorites, h2o at sci-fi for me.com, or you can leave comments on our social media. And uh, next week, I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but we'll talk it about will be something brilliant and interesting, and you will love it for sure. Right? Yes. Uh-huh. Because we'll love talking about <laughs> it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about exactly. it. Exactly. All right. That's going to do it for us. We're going to go and get more coffee. You guys uh, have a good uh, week, a good weekend, and uh, we will be back with another episode of H2O here on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 